This week on Dig Me Out. The best things in life are free, but you can't give them to the birds and bees. I need more. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help them help us make the next episode happen by joining us at DMOUnion.com. That's DMOUnion.com. Stands for Dig Me Out Union.com, which we also own that <laughs> URL. We own all the URLs. You're so you're so proud of that. I am. Because I made it happen. Through force of will, I made you purchase that. I didn't tell you, Jay, let's purchase that. I At just this kept point, screwing it up on purpose so that you would buy it. But at this point in our existence as humans, maybe our age, I mean, any little thing we can actually get done just feels like a major accomplishment, doesn't it? Does, it? it does. So, Jay, this week we are revisiting an album thanks to the selection of one of our patrons, which, by the way, we have a new patron that has joined us, Matt Gorey. Join us at the two dollar level on July fourth. Welcome, Matt. He got, he was watching the fireworks and he said, "I decide I'm going to join the union." Got inspired. <laughs> Welcome, Matt. Welcome. On the show with us, he really needs no introduction. He's been here for so long. He has his own office in Dig Me Out headquarters. It's an auxiliary <laughs> office that he flies into every once in a while from the other side of the planet. Gavin Reed. Welcome back, Gavin. Yeah, how you going? Um, so that is quite the intro for someone who doesn't need one, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell everyone the album that you have selected for this visit. Okay, um, this visit I've um, selected a soundtrack. Um, it's from the movie Backbeat, which I doubt many people, probably people heard of it, I don't know, many, very few people have seen it. Um, and again, this is kind of hopefully completely in the dig me out vein of it pretty much popped up, disappeared, no one heard of it, and now in retrospect we go, what, Dave Grohl, who, when? Um, so yeah, hopefully it fits the, fits the bill. Yes, this is from the movie of the same name, Backbeat. Came out. The movie came out in April of 94 and had a, like for the time, a solid cast. You had Stephen Dorff, who was in a bunch of things in the in the nineties. You had Cheryl Lee, who had just come off of Twin Peaks. She played Laura Palmer on Twin Peaks. And then you had um, a, a number of actors that I'm I'm not familiar with. I know they've gone on to do other things, like Ian Hart was uh, in in a number of movies in the eighties. But a lot of British actors, because it's actually this is a British film. Uh, I guess it was a, with a, in terms of financing, it was um, between a British and German company, and the and the director uh, of it, I believe, was uh, British. So um, I don't remember this like being released widely in the United States. I think it was probably in like some smaller markets, or maybe I, ma- just I, a few major markets. Really? Yeah, I want to say I saw this in the theater. I definitely remember seeing this movie. Really, when I don't it remember seeing it. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. that. The only thing I remember was that the band 
the backbeat yeah. band, which we're going to talk about, was a big deal because of the fact that, spoiler alert, Stephen Dorff is not singing, or none of the <laughs> none of the actors are doing the singing in this. Um, it's on vocals for part of the album is Greg Dooley of the Afghan Wigs, and then also Dave Perner of Soul Asylum. He's also singing. Uh, one song is sung by Mike Mills, who plays bass on the album of R.E.M., and then guitar is by Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth and Don Fleming of Gumball. And then the drums are played by a gentleman named Dave Grohl, who at the time was in Nirvana, but would later, of course, go on to be in the Foo Fighters. And it was produced by Don Waz. So, interesting group of folks together for this. Yeah. I'd be curious if they were actually playing together in a room or if they did this track by track separately or how they actually put this together. So maybe we'll find that out at a future t- period in, or future time. But this came out uh, just before the album was released or just before the movie was released. This came out in March 94. It's a very short record. It's only 27 minutes. There is a separate score for the album that Don Waz did. And then there's actually a couple of... Um, bonus tracks on a single that were not included on the album but all the covers that appear are songs that the Beatles did because spoiler the the, the movie's about the Beatles pre-fame in Germany um, they're all covers that the band did also because it'd be really freaking expensive to get Beatles songs <laughs> so you just you just uh, license the uh, you know, these various covers that they did. Um, so in the movie, well, Jay, do you remember it at all? You, you're the one that you've seen it. Yeah. I mean, I remember the, the premise. I mean, inside the concept, you know, they're in, Ber- it's when they're in Berlin as a, basically a cover band playing, you know, multiple, uh, gigs every day. And, uh, Yeah. And it and it it's, involves n- not the lineup of the Beatles that most people are aware of, but also Stuart yeah. Sutcliffe, who Stephen yeah. Dorff plays, and then I believe Pete Best is in it as well. He's played by an actor, uh, Scott Williams, and gets more into the Stuart Sutcliffe end of the story, I believe. Yeah, it's more about him. The band is almost like a secondary character. Gotcha. Yeah, my main memory of the movie is um, when they're sort of auditioning for something and he's actually playing facing the wrong way because he can't play. Um, so they're trying not to sort of let the record company people know that the guy actually doesn't play. He's just part of the group. Right. Interesting. Okay. How did So did you see this when it came out, Gavin? I, I'm not 100% sure. I saw it around about the time but i feel like i saw it on vhs which means i saw it two years later and yeah um i know i was interested in it, the movies um because i got the um soundtrack at the time but i think i might have missed it i feel like it was probably only on for a week or so and i might have missed it gotcha when did you pick up the soundtrack at that time or later no at the time straight away yeah okay i remember the soundtrack being out i don't think i've ever owned it but I have it. <laughs> so at some point I acquired the music. Let's put it that way. And somehow we, I had the did, single. we did not talk about this on our soundtrack 
episode, did we? I don't, I don't think remember so. Talking Maybe about this. because this is prim- is is entirely composed of covers, might be the reason why. Um, and we tended to talk about original material from the bands and comparing it to their like you know their catalog. So I I don't know, but it did not come up that I remember. But some people did remember this and they had some comments. So let's get to them over at Patreon. Phil Fleming said, I remember reading an article, I think it was in Entertainment Weekly, regarding the soundtrack and how it was largely recorded the way the Beatles made those early albums. In a matter of days with very little overdubbing, I think the only one who recorded separately from the rest of the ensemble was Dave Perner. Okay. There's a little bit of an answer right there regarding how they recorded. And then... um, Jeff Loney said, holy shit, this is good stuff. Dave, when Dave Perner is the weakest link, you've got something good happening. Interesting. And then Scott Wood said, in theory, it's great, but you have this amazing talent doing Beatles songs no one really cares about. Plus, they're pretty spot on covers. Good, but not something you purposely put on. So we did put this up for a vote for people to vote, and we're going to continue to do this going forward. Whether they think this is a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single, we will talk about those results at the end of the episode when we share mm. our uh, our picks and to see where we lined up with uh, with the votes over at Patreon, which you can join us. I mentioned at dmounion.com. So Jay, yeah, tell me one thing you liked about the backbeat soundtrack. Greg Dooley, mm-hmm. uh, he's on fire on this record. Um, and this is what around the time he they were recording, gentlemen, or maybe gentlemen had just come out. Um, yeah. So uh, he wasn't as known as he had by the later in the decade. He becomes better known. So it's kind of funny that he was even picked to do this. Gentlemen was uh, released but, in fall of eighty of ninety three, so it was like six yeah. months before this. Yeah. So, um, great fit for this stuff. He captures, I think, you know, it, it doesn't sound like the Beatles on record, but you can imagine this is what maybe John Lennon would sound like live in a, you know, after doing his fourth set a day and a night and um, being on trucker speed and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, being a little extra raspy and maybe a little off key here and there. You know, I think he he uh, brilliantly captures you know the essence of of what you know the beatles sounded like live or what you could imagine them sounding like live um i think he's got some great performances on here i don't i won't get too deep into what i don't like but there's some other singers on the record and the contrast between the two is pretty stark for me um so i think the combination of him and just the way the record's produced um so you get you know, get, you've got great solid drumming here, but it has a very live feel. Um, the bass parts of these songs are very important in terms of how they carry them. The guitars are, you know, sometimes a little reverby. They, you know, they got that surf guitar kind of reverb going on, but uh, they're mostly clean. Um, so that's that can be hard to make sound big and rocking if you don't got if you don't don't have a, you know, some gain. And they pull it off, I think because of his voice and his energy and the tempos they choose and the performances um it kind of it all comes together pretty well in terms of uh 
to me being presented as um believable um live beatles songs you know so yeah kudos to the vocals and just overall performance and production on this record it's a lot of fun just let me hear some of that rock and roll music any old way you choose it it's got a backbeat you can't lose it any old time you use it gotta be rock and roll music if you wanna dance with me if you wanna dance with me i got no kick against modern jazz unless they try to play it too darn fast yeah, I'll say this is a tough record in the sense that they can't do like loose interpretations because these are songs for a movie that's supposed to be period specific. It's yeah. not like they can go off and do their own version of Twist and Shout or rock and roll music and interpret it the way that they want to do it. If they want to do it a different way, they've got to like produce it and, and make it sound like it's specific to the period. And so it's interesting to hear, you know, Dave Grohl is a much different drummer than Ringo Starr. (laughs) So you, you get to hear him sort of, bash away in a much simpler way but still you get that dave grohl you know power that that thud and and just this the strength behind his playing and and in the same way that you mentioned about Dooley, you know he's got his own thing going on it was interesting to hear the guitar stuff because especially when they would get to like solos yeah and they you could tell I mean, it's Thurston Moore and Don Fleming who are very, who are really good guitarists. Thurston Moore is obviously like a legendary guitarist in terms of experimental music and not playing blues scales and and that kind of stuff. And to hear those two guys creating like minimalistic noise based around like trying to like really dial back their their capabilities to imagine what a couple of teenagers essentially would sound like playing, you know, clean guitars for, and, and soloing and, and doing a really good job of, of recreating that sound and that, and that performance. That was just really interesting to hear um, because it's simple and it's, but it's, there's some energy to that playing and it's, it's, cool to hear them tackle it and it's it's cool to hear all of the you mentioned about mike mills bass playing i mean he's carrying a lot of melody in these songs which is you know they're based around like blues scales in some of these songs so there's the a lot of runs is, yeah the bass is very active right on, on all these songs yep which is of course it would be because you know you take a song like rock and roll music or um good golly miss molly I mean, those are all based around blues scale and, you know, bar 12 bar blues or whatever. So there's going to be, that's the basses doing runs throughout the whole thing. Good God, Miss Molly. So likes the ball. When you're rocking and rolling. Can't hear your mama call. Ah! 
Gavin, what was uh, in revisiting this soundtrack? What was it that worked for you? Um, I think the main thing I, I enjoy about it is that um, it kind of takes what are pop songs, I guess. I guess the Beatles are a pop band, pop rock at, at most, and then brings them into a rock and roll context without actually changing them. It sort of shows that if you took the music of that era, that it shows that they're great songs because if you bring them into this era and you know, increase the production and give them a bit more grit and oomph, they sound relevant still. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the other things is that, that we just don't make music. We don't make songs like this anymore. Men, in particular, don't sing these kind of happy songs in rock and roll. Mm. Everything's like this. This kind of the, the joy in some of these songs, like um, you know, "Good Golly Miss Molly" and "Rock and Roll," even "Mr. Postman." You know, um, that's reserved for pop music now. For and so sort of boy and girl bands. You know, they, they sing with that happiness that's that we don't find in rock anymore. So it's good to just hear, hear people sound like they're just really enjoying singing and um, playing the songs. Yep. And and some of these songs, um, just with how familiar they are and some of the lyrics um, being, you know, a little, I guess, um, safe or, you know, not exactly modern. It, it's amazing to me that Dilly is able to still pull it off because you're right. It still comes off as like, genuine and fun yeah um perner not quite as much um but but uh i don't know there's just some way he's able to take these words and deliver them in a way that's totally believable you could almost hear them in a twilight singers or uh afghan wig song just the the lyrically in some of the lines it kind of works which is amazing yeah you could um imagine them just throwing one or two of these songs into a live performance themselves and and it working as well just the material in general. I mean, geez. I mean, did I ever think I would want to hear another version of Money again in my life? <laughs> Not, you know, or Twist and Shout? Not really. But um, I, I would probably, if I was going to listen to those songs, I would put these versions on. Yeah, um, that's the same to me. So it's like if the Beatles were to record them today, it would sound something like this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and especially like, a version of rock and roll music. It's just on fire. It's just yeah. mm. tearing through that song. Yeah. And um, it's fun to hear their take on it. It's, it's And some of these, a few of these are, are lesser known, like Slow Down and Carol are, are songs that I, I'm not familiar with in terms of being overplayed in like classic rock radio history. Most of the other thing, most of the other uh, songs that Dooley does that Dooley performs are are fairly well known and then obviously like um, Dave Perner tackles Long Tall Sally which is a, a staple but then some of the other ones like 20 Flight Rock I was not familiar with or Road Runner that, the one that Mike Mills does so Jay you mentioned about Perner not working for you yeah. um, I, I kind of had that same feeling I mean it's just it's a comparison thing if this was just an album of Dave Perner singing all the songs i probably wouldn't have had a problem with it because i like dave perner as a vocalist but when you put him up against Dooley at basically the height of his power of just <laughs> just all fire and and yeah. you know yeah. just ripping through these songs it's hard to 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 match up they sound when he does um 
come on everybody it sounds so like pedestrian compared to everything else that's going on so i i definitely felt that same sort of yeah. letdown with his songs where my baby's in my palm i'm gonna next three or four and the house will be shaking from my bare feet slapping on the floor when you hear the music can't sit still your brother won't dance and your sister will Ooh, come on everybody His vocal is more, I don't know, to me, it's a little more squeaky and squealy. It's less guttural. Like, Dooley is just digging in and just, the vocal is beefy and has low end. And when his voice breaks, it breaks in, like, a really, like, growly kind of way, not like a squeak or a, and there's just, I don't know, he's just, you can just tell he's up on that mic and just delivering it, you know? Right. Um, Perner sounds like he's doing an impression sometimes. Yeah. Um, hmm. So Marissa is listening live. Hi, Marissa. And she has a comment. She said, this is music that God intended to be consumed as part of a live performance. The album is great, but the footage from the 1994 MTV Movie Awards really gets the message across. Pure, undiluted, visceral rock and roll for a crowd to dance to, rip up the theater chairs to, throwback beers to etc i don't know that i categorize the songs emotional content as happy as much as cathartic concerned with really basic impulses if you get my drift i think i think i can get that drift i understand i understand what you say drift caught drift (laughs) acquired uh yeah i mean these are elemental rock and roll songs. These are the, this is at the birth of rock and roll. Most of these songs. So they're pretty, uh, in terms of their impulses, they're pretty basic. And so I just, I just enjoy hearing, even though there's trying to capture the sound of when this took place, you can't escape the fact that they sound better. So you get to hear everything a little bit crisper and cleaner and the guitars sound a little bit fuller and the mix is just, you know, they're not recording to a single track or just two track. They 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 might have done that as a way to throw back the sound, but if you if you AB please Mr. Postman on here versus the original recording, this is just going to sound fuller. It's just, I mean, it's just their their microphone technology is better. Just the whole the whole yeah. recording. So, but they're but they're true to the instruments. Yes. So and the tones. That's what's great about it. Right. There's no synthesizers or anything like that. Or yeah. even just guitar tones. Like they don't like use a Marshall because the Beatles didn't use Marshalls, right? I mean, and it just they get the, and they don't add a bunch of overdrive. Like they just get all of that right. Right. The, the right. reverbs they use are the like period correct reverbs. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's it's really cool to hear all of that. So it is is there anything on the record that does not work for you, Gavin? Uh there's not anything that really doesn't work for me. Um I wouldn't mind I would have liked to, there to be a couple of actual Beatles songs. That that would have been interesting to see how that um panned out. Um but other than that, no, I'm it's short. I I have the single as well, so I have the couple of extra songs. But no, um, there's nothing that really stands out. I don't notice um, Dave Perner's drop-off relative to 
to the rest. But um, when when you talk about this, it's quite like you don't have to think about which songs they are. They're pretty obvious. Uh, and the thing I like about it is that extra guttural. The, the, the particular on um, Mr. Postman, which is you know, quite a quaint song almost, he brings some real um, energy to that, which is which which is fantastic. I love the, I love this version of that song. know that they could include Beatles songs not because of any like legal reasons but I don't know if the time frame in the movie right. would have been correct I, I having not seen the movie I don't know where exactly what year there this is falling in yeah I mean the Beatles so, wouldn't have had a whole lot of songs by then I mean this is really early I mean this is before mm-hmm. Ringo's in the band so right and because when you consider that like even the um the earliest Beatles recordings, uh, a lot of that is covers. So, right there, I mean, they're going to be doing. You're going to have to be. You're going to be dealing with that. So, they probably. So, the first Beatles album that actually has like Beatles written songs is 1963. So, I'm not sure when this movie is supposed to fall exactly in terms of. Well, actually, well, what the Beatles came out in '63 as well. That has that has one cover on it. Just looking back at these records, there's oh, and then they got to deal with the U.S. version versus the mm. the, right. the U.K. versions. The U.S. versions are released different at different times because, like, they released an album in '64 called "Twist and Shout." which has their covers of like twist and shout and um, what else is on there? Baby it's you by Burt Bacharach and um, this movie takes ones. place in is set in 1960. Okay. So it's three years until they, I, I mean, they might've had some early ideas of some songs that are, that end right. up on please, please me. Like right. maybe there's an early version of I saw her standing there that they were doing this time or Love Me Do or something like that. But that would have been um, uh, interesting to know if what, what exactly they were working on that was original during the, the, the bar days in Germany. So and then so Please Please Me has Twist and Shout is the last song on the first side. So it actually got released on a couple different releases. Again, because of that U.S. U.K. multiple re- version thing, because "Please Please Me" is technically—is that a, U- a U.K. Re- release? Yeah, because that was not—that doesn't have a U.S. Uh, chart. And then introducing the Beatles is the first one that actually charts in the U.S. And that's not until '64. So right, right, yeah. 
So anyway, not to get into the Beatles minutia here with uh <laughs> I mean the the band forms in the 60s, so this is you know the year they formed, so Right. Not a whole lot there. Yeah, I guess it it might have been interesting from a just to hear their take on it. You know. Yep. I could imagine Dooley ripping up I saw her standing there well, pretty good, but yeah, let's just set the movie aside. I mean, I would have been totally on board with this band just staying together and making records. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty awesome band. Yeah, you know what I mean. Just like in this genre, like just doing just high energy, raw, early rock and roll style music. Yeah, I think that would be amazing. Yeah, sort of like we'll that start replicants, the Patreon. Get the them to do that album. <laughs> Well, that is one of our goals. Yes. <laughs> Reunite the back, Backbeat Band. If we can get to $1 million a month, we will reunite the back, <laughs> Backbeat Band. <laughs> I like it. We're going to need 250000 of that to pay for uh, Dooley's cocaine. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I think he's off the uh, sneaky. Well, to get him back in this band, it might take <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> I don't want him to sound right. I would, I you know, I don't know of any like uh, issues between these folks. They might be, you know, willing to. Uh, it's the twenty fifth anniversary this year. We've still got it, you know, five months left. We could maybe we could throw something together <laughs> real quick. The the one parallel I do draw with this album is a very 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 long bow, but um, the Sound City album is not a hundred miles off this. Um, there's some sort of tones oh, yeah. and, and the, the sort of way he's working with lots of different people on that, you know, but that's got, it does have a fairly retro sound yeah. to it. Hmm. I just, I like the concept of this, you know, I just like the idea of, you know, telling up when you're telling a band story, trying to capture the essence of what their music was without, um, uh, and doing it with maybe they don't have to sound exactly like the original band because what you're trying to capture is the idea not the actual sound you know so going out and finding musicians who are passionate about it and can get it and even if it's not exactly the same um you know to me it's much more effective than you know just playing like uh studio versions of the tracks or getting some band to try to do a cover that's you know completely on uh, note for note the same you're also launching this into the market of 1994 so to play like the original version of it with the original i don't know lack of depth um it's not going to excite people because what they're listening to is is fuller it has a bigger sound it's more rocking so it's almost like just saying this is what this sounds like If, if we just left everything alone but put them in a time machine and put them into 1994 this is what they'd sound like yeah and if you're in a in a good club and they like a small club at the time and they had a good sound system. They probably, you know, sonically mm. sound a hell of a lot better than they did on record. <laughs> well, and the other thing I'm, I'm thinking back to 94, this is back right when they started doing the anthology series, which was a big deal. Those three anthology double discs that came out, those came out 95, 96 and 96. So there hadn't been a Beatles release of of significant importance since the 80s. Um, the Past Masters compilations came out in 88. So it had been hmm. it had been, you know, 
six years since a significant release, and now and now we get one almost every year of something coming out after the anthology series. You got that number one album that came out. You had the Let It Be Naked was released, and then there's been there's been almost every year there's been some sort of re-release. Mono Masters, the Love uh, soundtrack for the for the um, Cirque du Soleil show that they did. So it's interesting because you know when we were talking to Slim Moon about managing catalogs. Mm-hmm. And about how they had, they felt like they, by the seventies, EMI felt like they had to reintroduce the Beatles to people, because that's how the the movie came about, the Sgt. Pepper's <clears throat> movie, and um, it's almost like this was at the start of another reintroduction. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but you know, six years had gone by with no new Beatles product. And then this comes out, and then the next year you've got, you know, a series of compilations happening. And um, I guess this would be the introduction for younger people, in a way, to have these artists of the moment. Because the anthology series, while they're cool, are really meant for the baby boomers that grew up on, you know, I don't think I was all that enthused to hear free as a bird which was that song that they you know they brought together from parts of yeah. what had been left over i think there was another one called real love which was on the second anthology i want to say yes yep. it's the on the second one so um i guess i could you could look at it that way that this was their attempt to get the gen x interested in the beatles again which I I don't know. I don't know if it's necessary or not. I feel like every, if you're into music, you kind of find your way there one way or another. Yeah. The, uh, we're actually nominated for a VMA for uh, a video uh, best, what do they call it? Best video from a movie that oh. year. Interesting. Or Money, Money had a video. <laughs> I did not know that. I'm not yeah. going to say that. I'm going to have to go look yeah, that they up. Were, they were up against uh, Streets of Philadelphia, Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, I'll Remember, and Sinead O'Connor, You Made Me the Thief of Your Heart, and Bruce Springsteen won with a little song called Streets of Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> a little song you might know. <laughs> a little ditty. <laughs> so, I, we gotta we got to rate this. we got to figure out whether it's a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single. Now, I've, I've mentioned that our very uh, opinionated group over at Patreon gave us uh, their opinion. Let's share ours first. Jay, is this a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single? Uh, I'm going to go with a word of the album. It's only, like you said, what, 27 minutes long? I right. Mean, Good golly, Miss Molly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think the Perner songs, like I said, I don't love them uh, from a vocal standpoint. I mean, the music's still there. The energy's there from the band. Uh, I think uh, Mike Mills is actually a pr- pretty good singer. Uh, I think his vocals, uh, Roadrunner, is kind of a fun song. I, I, I consider it almost like a 
just a, a fun album track. You can imagine it like being up music for a montage in a movie. Um, I, I assume I he's doing watch. all the backing vocals because that's what he did in R.E.M. Yeah. I, uh, we didn't mention that. The backing vocals on this are fantastic. They're really what captures the, to me, the Beatles sound. As, yeah. As much as the, you know, the instruments um, do, but it's really the backing vocals that give you that, that feel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear the album. Um, where you at? I am as well. I mean, it goes by so fast. These songs are all really tight, just like they were written, and they're amped up. You know, some of these are going through in a minute forty-five or a minute forty-nine. I mean, it's they're really yeah. quick songs. There's not yeah. one song over two forty-five, so you can you can make it through this album super quick and enjoy it. And I think it's just it's just a cool project that there's not much to compare it to in terms of the '90s. So I mentioned the Replicants album. That's about it, where you get a bunch of guys from, you know, some heavier bands that had some synth pop or synth uh, influence doing a bunch of covers that some are in their wheelhouse and some of them are pretty interesting and weird takes on songs. So um, that's about as close as it gets. So uh, this is definitely a worthy record for me. I've listened to... A number of the songs on playlists that I've had on my iPod and iPhones over the years. So actually hearing it all together again was fun. So, yeah, I dug it. What about you, Gavin? Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? Uh, Yeah, I'm clearly a worthy album. I I do spin this pretty often. I still use the CD because it's not that easy to get on any of the – or on Apple Music or whatever. Um, So, yeah, definitely a worthy album. And I wish somebody would make um, some more new music like this. You know, you know what's interesting, and I, this is going to sound like an old guy take. Is this? Uh, and maybe this is a question I was posed to you guys. Was this the last time when I'm al- like something like this could have been done? Because, like, if you were to do this now, like, what bands would you pick that would be actually like dangerous? That, you know, and that would be on the on the young side that would be able to like play this stuff well capture the spirit of it but bring the danger and the energy and just the everything together and still be somewhat recognizable like what are you gonna get imagine dragons like what <laughs> well i was thinking like okay let's say you were to, to do a t-rex mark bolin movie maybe you get like the struts or the killers to you know involved in, in something like that but they're not like. But they're not. But they're. Are, but they're. They're, are they I mean, really going to capture the spirit of Mark Bolin? Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe not. Probably not. Because that's what I feel like these guys are doing. Like they're capturing the spirit right. of those young. You know, a bunch of young guys living in Berlin. You know, playing their asses off and just loving rock and roll and just the guttural aspect of that. They're they're totally capturing that on this record. Who, who's going to do that now? I I bet. Um, Matt Bellamy and Muse would have had a pretty good take on Queen songs for the Bohemian Rhapsody (laughs) soundtrack if they had been given a chance. I wouldn't mind hearing um, Fiddler have a bit of a go at some of this, but probably not the the latest sound that they have. But the uh, the second album is sort of in this direction, I guess. Maybe. 
Who is that? Fiddler. I don't know if I'm saying that right. F I D L A R. I'm trying to pick American bands for you. Otherwise, I would have gone with Violent Soho. <laughs> F I D L E. What is it? L-A-R-A-R. I've never heard of that. Fiddler. I've That's heard the I name. I don't. Be. I can't yeah. remember what they sound like. Their third album's they've gone all Weezer on us and started rapping, but um, uh oh. But the second album's great. Oh, never mm. heard of it. I'm an old man. <laughs> I wonder. Speaking of Weezer, you could do a, a movie about. Weezer during the blue Pinkerton era, but have the current Weezer reinterpret those songs. See if they could pull them off. I think you may have actually known it. Blue album Weezer could have done a good version of this. I, I think I might have opened up a, a hole in the universe space time continuum by, do, by proposing that. So our poll ended up 80% worthy album, 20% decent single. I'm going to bet that Scott Witt was the decent single vote on that. <laughs> I'd like to know which song. I, well, maybe Scott will tell us in, in the future what song was his decent mm. single. Or two songs if it was a seven inch and there was one on each side. So, mm. But we need to thank all the folks who commented, especially uh, Marissa for joining us uh, live on this show. And, of course, thanks to Gavin for making this pick. Gavin, this is the second of your yearly three picks. So, yep. I believe we have the third one lined up. We'll be coming, getting to that one shortly, probably within the next two months. And um, always enjoy it because we we get to do these uh, with a lot of stress for me to figure out what the time zone difference is based on the time of year. Because <laughs> oh I got to figure out time zones, and then also is there daylight savings involved? And I have to get my protractor out and start doing all sorts of math, and it's it's messy. <laughs> So uh, thank you for you know that. Yes. That's what you have a pocket computer for. Mm. I know. You just go on that little pocket computer and you say, hey, Google, what time is it in Australia? I've got all the cities just programmed into my clock, so I'm just sending him a um, screenshot. <laughs> he <laughs> does. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. It's that perfect. Awesome. It works great. It's simple. <laughs> Gavin, thanks again. Go uh, have some fun at the pub. And uh, Jay and I will spend the rest of our Saturday evening um, watching Stranger Things, catching up on uh, season yeah. three. Indeed. I'll go and listen to an old uh, cult album, and I expect you know, somebody to have a listen to Fiddler and tell me what they think. I'm listening to it right now. <laughs> He's already on it. I am. It sounds pretty good. I'm listening to this, the uh, 2015 record. Yep. Cool. Is that the right one? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I want to remind everyone you can go to dmounion.com. That's where you join us and join our union for as little as $2 a month. You get to vote in our polls, join our community, talk about the albums we're going to review, help us select our albums every month from our suggested list. And if you join us at upper tiers, you can vote in our roundtable polls our 80s polls which we just posted an 80s episode not too long ago flick of the switch by acdc and if you like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at itunes so for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out 
and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. You can walk inside.